Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, everybody. Ethan here. Mike here. Welcome to the Blue Note Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things St. Louis Blues. The season inches closer. It's episode number 26. Oh, yeah. It is the Paul Stastny episode. Really, Paul Stastny here has been just lights out here throughout his entire career. Love this veteran. 1,072 career games, 800 points here. He was a true just, I mean, just man on fire here. His eight years in Colorado, 458 points in three in 538 games. Came to St. Louis. He spent those four years here. Unfortunately, you know, he never saw that true big, big production that we expected, I think, here from him, but still a solid veteran here at this point. So um, episode 26, Paul Stastny. Yeah, a pretty easy choice. I mean, there's a couple others that you're like, eh, maybe, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, he had a good year last year, too, in Winnipeg. 21 goals, and that's a good tee-up for where we're going with this episode. Jets. Yeah. Um, this is the Summer Series finale, I guess we'll call it. Uh, summer Series first edition or edition one or season one finale. Uh, lots the inaugural of Summer Jets. Series. Yeah, yeah. which... Barring anything crazy, it's going to be back next year. So, and maybe, yep. maybe different variations down the road. We'll see what we come up with. But yeah, Stas an easy choice. I have a feeling the next episode is going to be pretty easy as well. Not to spoil it for anybody, but I'm pretty sure you could guess if you just, you know, think for a sec. Uh, Look but at the schedule. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Stasny, though, I mean, in Carolina now, still, still going. Uh, mm-hmm. Good for the Blues. And I don't think there's anybody else that could have been the choice. Um, and apparently, from what I'm told, hockey is back, I guess. I think it's uh, back. I mean, I know it was played in a not I don't know if I'd say bizarre location, but a different location last night for the blues. They uh, I hear Toto was in attendance. That's good news. Um and I feel like I just got struck by lightning because the light above me just flashed really weirdly like it was a lightning bolt. That was bizarre. But anyway, moving along, getting past that. Um the it just did it again. Jesus is bugging saw it. me. Yeah, this is this is, the light's not good. It's a bad light. Um, it's going out. The Blues did win last night, five to four, preseason game against the Coyotes. Uh, there were some names playing. There were some guys out there that we're going to see on the ice this year for the Blues. I mean, Bennington did, you know, save some shots, gave up a goal, but uh, I mean, it, takeaway wise, I mean, looking at the score sheet, my takeaways are Jake Neighbors had three points. Uh, Logan Brown had two goals. Bull Duke. Didn't score, but he was a plus two. Mm-hmm. Costin was zeros across the board from what they were taking. There's no time on ice or face off or any of those metrics. So do with that what you will. Um, Pitlick had two points, which out of all the guys they've signed to be like fringe, you know, playing the AHL or come up or, you know, be scratches with Pitlick, Highmore, Levo, Ferk, all those guys. I feel like Pitlick is going to surprise people. I know that. Mm-hmm. Career-wise, not you know anything spectacular at all, but I feel like he's got a chance to make the roster, and I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, but he got off to a good start, and then defensively, you know, Kessel scoring a goal, not Phil Kessel, uh, Matthew Kessel, and then uh, obviously Prunovich gets up in the morning, scores two points, like it's nothing, pretty much what he is, and then uh. He puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like everybody else. That okay? is true. That is true. He just doesn't. Um, you know, other than that, it's a, it's a preseason game in Wichita. I don't know how much you can take away from that, but it seemed like there were some players that the Blues would like to see be productive this season that mm-hmm. were productive. And I think the biggest one of that is Jake Neighbors probably should have had four or five points from the sounds of it last night. I know that we could can watch it because God forbid they have a stream going on YouTube or, or some sort of social media platform. I mean, it's, it's 2022 and it's the NHL. I don't care if it's a preseason game in, in Antarctica. I, I think you have to have some way to watch it. Right. I just feel like that's, you know, we got to get with the times in, in some respects. If it's a game being played at Antarctica, they absolutely are going to have that because they're going to boast saying we have NHL hockey in Antarctica. Makes sense. 
See, I was going through my head of what I was going to say there. I was thinking I was going to say like Siberia or like something other other than that, a little bit bizarre. But I just that's what came out. And, that's and also, That's okay. You know, that's the Blues okay. penalty kill last night. I don't even know who was playing on it. They were zero for two, so. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, who would have been playing the penalty kill out of this group? I don't even know. Um, not that it matters, but each no. goaltender gave up a, a power play goal. So Bennington okay. gave up one. Hofer gave up one. Uh, and also Thomas Grice, where, where is he? Is he just not, not going to play for a few more? Is he going to get in there at all? They're going to arrest him. They're going to make sure he's got his life alert, and yep. they're going to make sure that he's rested. It's okay. The fifty-year-old okay. Thomas Grice. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to see Hofer more than we think. Like I think he might play like seven or eight games this year in the NHL, probably because of injury. But I also think that it's just something that's going to happen. Yeah, I I really really hope not because that's going to mean a lot of games here for Bennington. Um, Hofer, I think, has the ability to play in the NHL here at this point, but. Boy, um, with this season, I think that the Blues are wanting. I think you need Hofer here still in the AHL, just still maturing and and progressing along here. And so. with the way this team is structured, you definitely would prefer having an experienced goaltender right. behind them, which is why they brought in Grace now. Right. It's been well documented that most people would have rather picked somebody else if you're going to bring in a new backup and a veteran, but – uh, I we we we're at the point now where it's like okay, Grice is going to be the backup, so we got to go with it and see what happens. I mean, I'm not confident in it, but uh, I mean, I'm very interested to see how Neighbors plays the rest of this preseason because mm-hmm. comes out firing three points, and there were players on both sides of that game last night that are absolutely guaranteed to be in the lineup for the team. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like they'd rolled out a bunch of nobodies. There were guys there that, you know, Barrett Hayden was playing for them, Nick Ritchie, Nick Schmaltz. Uh, and those guys all, you know, got on the score sheet, but those guys were playing for Arizona. And then obviously they had uh blues legend, John Gillies in there, give up a few goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good prospects that played in that game last night, mostly from the Arizona side because of the state of their franchise. But either way, you know, it's it's hockey, it's back, uh, it's it's Wichita. The schedule for the NHL is very bizarre this year because they're going to start in Prague with the Sharks and Preds, right? And that's like mm-hmm. four days before people probably start paying attention because I feel like these games in Prague are going to be like, for me at least, it's going to be, it's on the TV, I'm probably paying attention, but maybe not. And then the big show is the 11th when when the Rangers and Lightning, I think, are playing. So a little bit weird. I know they do that a lot, but it's just kind of weird that it's that much earlier. And also, I hate that the Blues start their season once again, just like last year, like four or five days after everybody else. It's okay. Let everybody else get you know their time in the sun, and then you know Blues will just come in and just clean up shop here. So. I, miss, I miss playing on opening night. They had uh, 20 mm-hmm. night, 20... 2019-20 and 2020-21, they played opening night both times. Lost to the Capitals, beat the Avalanche. And uh, the Blues are now middle of the league in terms of what they what they want to see, I guess. So when you win a cup, everybody's all front and center. You're playing the first game. That has since changed, and now we're stuck playing the well, – not we, they are. Excuse me, I know people don't like it when you say we. They're stuck playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in the first game of the season. So I don't know what That's this okay. says about how they feel about us, but – who knows? That's um, okay. All right. Uh, I guess let's we'll, talk some Jets. We'll talk let's about talk the Winnipeg Jets. Jets with uh, Declan Schrader. Join us, thehockeywriters.com, a uh, a fellow writer of ours uh, with the Hockey Writers. So long discussion about the Jets. Lots going on there this offseason. A lot to look mm-hmm. forward to in terms of I don't know how it's going to end for most of these guys, especially with their season and how it's going to go. They obviously make the big coaching change. They bring in really nothing. NHL talent wise, they brought in very little. They're relying on prospects and yeah. players that are already there. And when I was looking at the cap friendly page while we were doing the interview with Declan, I was kind of stunned. I still kind of shocked at how much money Blake Wheeler is making for the next two years. That's a lot of cap hit on a guy that old. That is the risk you run when you sign these deals at certain ages. So when Colton Pareko is making 6.5 at the age of 42, which won't happen, but close enough. It's going to feel that way. 
that's going to be a hard pill to swallow. I have to say. Yeah. That's how I feel yeah. about the Jets. But then you look at Shifley's deal is great. So it's a mixed bag. But uh, an interesting discussion with him, no doubt. And uh, I suppose we should shift it over there now. The summer series finale, the Winnipeg Jets, Declan Schrader joined us. Let's go to the interview right now. All right, Blues fans, welcome on in. We are wrapping up our summer division series here with the Winnipeg Jets. We are joined here by Declan Schrader here of the Hockey Writers. Declan, how's it going this evening? Oh, it's going well. Thank you for having me on the program. I'm looking forward to talking some shop with you. Oh, I love the polite Canadian-esque you know, mannerisms and stuff here. Oh, this is great. I'm going to be so happy here for this. I just need a couple of Winnipeg-esque you know, terms and phrases here, just kind of sprinkled throughout there, you know, a couple of A's and and whatnot, and, and we'll be able to make it work. A couple of A's, talk a little bit about honey dill sauce and we'll, we'll be good. Oh, see, that's already over my head. That's all right. Oh, I love this. I'm going to be so happy here throughout this, this podcast. Again, thanks so much here for coming, man. Um, we have a very, very interesting team talking about here with the Winnipeg Jets that it just seems like, I don't know. To me, and this is just not you know, a biased opinion or anything. It just it's an underwhelming team. You know, you look at the paper, and the team looks like that they should be a playoff bound team. It looks like I mean everything should be going well for them. Very good contending team. 39, 32, and eleven for eighty nine points. The leading goal and point scorer here, Kyle Connor, 47 goals, 93 points in 79 games, just tore up the NHL. I think went totally underrated here over the NHL. 17th in goals for 3.05, 3.09 goals against here, ranks 20th, 17th here in power play and penalty kill here at 28th. What are your thoughts here on, on the Jets here just as last season? Like before we just really get into here, like, the road ahead, you know, let's take a look at your back. You know, what did you think about last season here as a whole? Well, I think you've already touched on it. Last season could not be seen as anything else than an abject disappointment for the Winnipeg Jets and their fan base. Like you said, that on paper, they look like a playoff bound team with the talent they had up front, the talent they have in goal. And it just really never came together for them. They, they were very inconsistent the team did not manage to cultivate any sort of firm identity. Mm-hmm. And that was an indictment on the leadership and the coaching. And by the time they had stumbled into December, Paul Maurice had had enough and he, yeah, he left town and mm-hmm. Dave Lowry could not stop the bleeding. And by the end of the season, there were a lot of bad feelings and a, a dressing room divided. So mm-hmm. on paper, you're right. It looked like a, a great team, but it was probably or definitely the most disappointing season in Jets 2.0 history when you look at expectations versus what ended up occurring. Yeah, well, and we're going to be able to get into a lot of what happened here, you know, and like you had just mentioned, the coaching and leadership with the locker room here and whatnot. So, yeah, that's, wow. I mean, they change coaches, so they bring in Rick Bonus, who... You know, probably mixed reviews in Dallas for what he was. Uh, good start there, didn't finish great. They bring in Brad Lauer, who's fresh off of a, a WHL championship. Uh, they bring in Marty Johnston, who, uh, you know, his media appearances convey, convey a progressive thinker. Uh, you know, in terms of just the overall feeling on not only the head coach hire with Rick Bonus, but the entire staff that's brought in to kind of change things up, shake things up, just the overall Uh, feeling from you and just the overall feeling in Winnipeg. My overall feeling is that this new regime deserves the benefit of the doubt and a chance to straighten out what have been some obvious issues. You looked at the way Paul Maurice and the old regime deployed players. You looked at the way their defensive structure or lack of defensive structure was, and you could see even a casual observer could see that the team wasn't being used to its maximum potential, that there was room for improvement when it came to systems. So I personally think that bonus is a good hire. He has some history with uh, the Jets organization. He coached back in the 1.0 area. He also played for the Jets. One of the things that plagued the Jets the most 
last season was very poor defense. They allowed unfettered access to the net front. Connor Hellebuck was constantly shelled. Too many high danger chances. And one of the hallmarks of bonuses regime in Dallas was that the team was stifling to play against defensively. So I think that's pretty promising. He wants the Jets to play with a lot more speed and a lot more aggression. He wants the defense to play up into the rush. But even even more than changing what's on the ice, he has a big task ahead of him to sort out some of the egos in that dressing room that really caused the team to be fractured and not tight knit. So he's talked about being a progressive coach, being a good communicator, communicating expectations clearly. And I think maybe the, among the fan base bonuses higher was, was met with tepid reviews, mostly because everybody thought Barry Trotz was going to be the next coach of the jets. And anybody compared to Barry Trotz, yes, seemed like a disappointment, but to me, if bonus uh, walks the walk the way he has talked the talk so far, it's going to be a very different looking Jets team. And I think they're going to benefit from his leadership. Yeah. Well, and when you're offered free beer for life, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say that, you know, Hey, this guy's not coming. And a uh, little Brown jug in Winnipeg has very, very good beer as well. So he, he turned down some, he turned down some nice craft beer. That's for sure. <laughs> I understand I understand why Barry Trust didn't want to jump right back into coaching. I mean, he is getting paid to stay home right now for this season. And with the Jets on the trajectory they were on and the sort of mess that they were in in June, I can't blame somebody for taking a look at that and saying, I don't need this right now. Yeah. Well, I can't say I blame you. Let's start taking a look here at some of the forwards. So one player of huge intrigue, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's in a very, very interesting situation. You know, Winnipeg hoped for a long-term resolution here with their 24-year-old center. And so instead, he signed his qualifying offer. Not a bad deal. You know, it, it works out, I think, still for both teams. Yeah. Still for one year? One year. One Contract. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so he's set to become an unrestricted free agent here all over again next summer, which there's two options here then right now. He files for arbitration, then Dubois will successfully fast track himself to UFA status here then in 2024. Or the Jets had Dubois locked up long term, and then there's a chance that they would have shopped star scorer Mark Shifley. Shifley looked just disengaged defensively last season he was soundly and deeply frustrated when the season was over so what i'm asking here is what do you think happens with pierre luc dubois this season well this is the biggest question mark around the jets right now is what's going to happen with pierre luc dubois he certainly ruffled some feathers with his comments back in June that one day he'd like to play for Montreal. And he was mm -hmm. speaking like a man who had one foot out the door already. And I think that was the straw that kind of broke some Jets fans backs after such a disappointing season, after Shifley's comments that implied that he wasn't so dedicated to the team. To hear Dubois express doubts about being in Winnipeg especially when he was considered, you know, the de facto next captain based on how strong of a season he had to hear mm -hmm. Dubois also waffle in Winnipeg sort of reaffirmed the feelings that some of the fan base had that the team was just a, you know, disaster trending ever downward. But for the Jets, what they need the most right now, regardless of the contract and what happened a year from now what they need to be successful is Pierre-Luc Dubois to have another season like he had last season and you're right that signing a long-term contract was something the Jets wanted him to do but he said he wasn't ready to take that step recently he sort of stepped back a little bit on the comments of wanting to play for Montreal of testing unrestricted free agency and said that Winnipeg would be a place that he would be willing to sign with long-term Mm -hmm. but that's a little bit of cart before the horse stuff right now, because the jets, 
he's a member of the Jets right now and the Jets need him to play like he did last season if they want to get back to playoffs and they want to get back to relevance. Well, as long as he doesn't at the very least stop attending his, what was it, bank attires or bank, you know, receptions or something like that, like in Montreal. And that's the reason like why he was at the draft. You know, he wasn't there to hopefully get drafted. It was a bank thing or, or oh, something. Oh, yeah. That there, was the, there was the rumor that he attended the draft because he thought he was going to get traded at the draft floor. Yeah. So whether that's no, no, no. I was there for the for the bank and oh although that um that news was broken by a member of the athletics. So it's not it's not like it came from Joe Schmo with an egg Twitter avatar and 20 followers. Yep. It came from a reputable source. So but yep, I can't say absolutely. as to whether they got it wrong or not. The the situation or decision that involves uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is not the only one that the Jets will have coming up within the next few seasons. They need to figure out what they're going to do with, I guess, now former captain Blake Wheeler uh, and their goaltender, obviously, Connor Hellebuck, and then obviously Shifley as well. All three of these guys are scheduled to become free agents after 2024-25. I think the most predictable thing for this is that the outside world is going to view this as a situation that could get pretty ugly, considering what has happened uh, with Shifley and Wheeler and the rumors around the organization of of what's gone down with them, especially in the room. And then Hellebuck, you know, has been a very good goaltender for them. Uh, just how do you see that playing out with those three and could it get ugly and could we see any of it trickle into this season in terms of, I know it's after 2024, 25, but if things go South, do you see one of these guys getting traded? Maybe, I mean, how ugly do you think this could get with those three? Well, could it get ugly? I wouldn't say ugly regarding a trade. A lot of people expected Blake Wheeler to already be traded from the jets. They thought he was going to get traded before the draft to free up cap space. They thought he was going to get traded throughout the summer and that didn't happen. Whether Kevin Chevaldeoff, the general manager, had really fulsome discussions with some other teams, we won't know. He's notoriously tight-lipped. But there was a general consensus among some media members that the Jets didn't want to retain any salary on Wheeler's contract and to trade. So that, I think, would make it a non-starter for most teams. Blake Wheeler makes is the highest-paid Jet, and he makes nearly $9 million. So regarding a extension for Wheeler, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think he will play out his final two years as not the captain anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I think by that time, I don't think by that time he'll be 38. By that time he will be 38 <laughs> and he'll either walk into retirement or perhaps sign a short-term deal with a contending team to, excuse me, get that Stanley Cup that's eluded him to this point in his career. With Shifley, it's very touch and go. In the summer, he was speaking like somebody who was going into unrestricted free agency rather than a player who was under contract for another two years. Mm-hmm. And as um, you pointed out already, Mike, that Mark Shifley was atrocious defensively last season. Right. And his indifference and play without the puck hurt the Jets on a lot of nights. Mm-hmm. And that's that type of play is not going to fly under Rick Bonus. He's on record saying that if a player does not fulfill his defensive responsibilities, that he will not hesitate to take away his chance to get points. And after a sleepy summer by shovel day off sleepier than everybody was expecting around here, Rick bonus barged in and he has changed the status quo by stripping Blake Wheeler of his captaincy. So that sent a message that if you are deficient in some way, your role will not be a starring role on the Winnipeg Jets. So if Shifley can respond positively and get back to being the player he was before last season, whose effort couldn't be questioned, then I think an extension is well within the realm of possibility. But if he doesn't respond to Rick Bonus's, uh, for lack of a better term, hard assery and continues to dog it, he will not be a member of the Winnipeg Jets after his contract is over and he might not be a member of the Winnipeg Jets before his contract is over because although Shifley was deficient defensively last season, every team out there could use a point per game player on a very team friendly contract. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and as you said, you know, Shelleyoff hasn't actually made any sort of moves. I mean, for the most part, this roster is the exact same roster moving forward as it was last season. Yeah. And for, for realistically speaking, if he believes that this is a playoff contending roster, I don't know if I would be the one who moves anybody out here just yet. I mean, I'd be willing to give my my coach a chance to say, you know what, let's see what we can be able to do here at this point. I think we got a, a contending team and maybe a, a pretty decent winning team. Who knows? You know, before I make here any sort of, you know, brash decisions here and just try to be able to just make change just to make change. Let's see if we actually need to make change here at this point before anything else. You know, let's have a, a new guy here come in, make, you know, some waves here as far as, you know, the captaincy here goes. And we'll try and just change the culture around a little bit. And maybe that's just going to change the direction of everything. Right. As I think you've summed it up really well, that that's what the Jets are banking on. They're banking on running it back and that a new coaching staff with fresh ideas and a fresh outlook will get a lot more out of the same personnel mm-hmm. and they deserve a chance to do that. But right. I think if you get too close to the trade deadline and the Jets are having another disappointing season, I think you could see some people moved out and there be a little bit more commitment to a true rebuild because right now the jets, they don't really have a direction. They're not loading up for a cup run. They're not aggressively rebuilding like Detroit or Ottawa and they're not tanking either. So I think a lot of people want to see them commit to one of those things, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. So they're, going to run it back with bonus instead of Maurice and Lowry and see how it goes. I, like I said before, I think bonus deserves a chance to make his mark on this team with obviously he has some good pieces to work with and Mm -hmm. we'll see if he can maximize those pieces. Yeah. Well, it's a big question. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Do you think even the the Jets now bringing in Simone Gagne to like to the one year contract, huge veteran here at this point? Do you think even bringing him in is going to have any sort of ripple effect here towards leadership? You know, where do you see him fitting in this season at this point? Then it potentially could. I I think bringing in Gagne is pretty much a replacement for Paul Stasny. You have an experienced guy yeah. who is low maintenance. You can plug and play him wherever you want in the lineup and he won't complain and he'll probably produce. He even produced for a pretty abysmal Red Wings team. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the signing. It didn't set the world on fire. Most people, including myself, were expecting a lot more from Cheval Day off than that. But when you speak about leadership, I think it's it's the onus on the younger players to to take on a, a bigger role leading this team. Wheeler's been stripped of the captaincy. Despite what some people are saying, it was not a mutual decision between him and Bonus. It was a demotion. Mm-hmm. And Rick Bonus is looking for to expand the the leadership core. So Shifley and Morrissey have retained their alternate captain status. So that means the Jets need to appoint one or two more. You can have three on the ice, but you can have more than three total if you like. Mm-hmm. So there are some players who will have to set themselves apart if they want to become part of this leadership core. And I think Adam Lowry has a good chance to do that. Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor have a good chance to do that. Even somebody like Dylan DeMello has a good chance to do that. So with okay. uh, going back to your original point with, with Gagne, I think he could provide some uh, veteran leadership, but I think he's there to be more of a, a low maintenance player, a bit okay. of a stats replacement. And then, leading the jets into the future is going to fall on these on these younger players it's it's a changing of the guard that needed to happen sooner or later so it might as well happen now under a new coach well the the biggest thing for the jets um not the biggest thing but one of the bigger things that is discussed is their defensive unit uh you know you look at it right now you got pretty much eight nhl caliber defensemen that don't need or that uh, would need to clear waivers uh, you have Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, Logan Stanley, Dylan DeMello, Jonathan Kovacevic, probably nailed that. A couple hard ones here. And then Kyle Capo Bianco, which that might be right too. That's um, right. Two for two. All right. 
Look and at him. Look at him which, go, eh? I mean, I mean, that's it's pretty good for me. I don't think I've ever tried either of those names uh out loud. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And, and then, then you've got um you've got Declan Chisholm and Leon Gavanka as well in the mix. I wouldn't have gotten those, I don't think. Uh <laughs> you also have a couple prospects, Vili Hainola and Dylan Sandberg. So mm-hmm. you know, just Defensively, what are you expecting? What are you looking for? Uh, who do you trust up top? I mean, it's an interesting group. I I don't really view this group as like – I think they could be good, but I think a lot of it – and I'm an outsider obviously here. I, I think a lot of it could depend on what the coaching staff does with them. How do you mm-hmm. feel about the defensive unit? Absolutely. You nailed it. It's that – it's what the coaching staff can do with them because last season the Jets gave up so many high-danger chances – and that was on the system that uh, Maurice and former defensive coach Charlie Huddy deployed. So with uh, some new systems, I think it could be a lot better. The way I see it playing out is, first of all, I was very surprised that one of Brendan Dillon or Nate Schmidt were not moved to clear out some cap space because both carry fairly hefty contracts. Schmidt is over $5 million. Dillon is nearly $4 million. And those are two veteran guys that are blocking younger players from taking on a starring role. So you have Vili Hainala, who has been considered the Jets' top defensive prospect for the last couple of years. And he hasn't really risen to prime time yet, but he hasn't been given a huge opportunity. Dylan Sandberg has been long awaited. He was drafted back in 2018. He's not a particularly young guy. He's getting into his mid-20s. And he was given more of a chance at Hainala last year, and he looked very comfortable. I think he has a good chance of of grabbing a slot on that blue line, but there are so many veterans on this blue line. You've got Morrissey, Pionk, Dylan, Schmidt, and DeMello, who are all locks. So you only have really one, one spot available for you know six or seven players that could make an impact in the NHL. So it's the biggest battle of training camp. And like I said, I was very surprised that one of those two of Schmidt and Dylan weren't moved out this summer. Kind of reminds you a lot of St. Louis here. If you really look at it, you know, Ethan and I have been really been talking about, you know, the need to them move out a guy here like Scandella, who's, you know, he's going to be shelled for quite some time here right now, but you know, you've got plenty of different players here in St. Louis who could realistically make their way up to an NHL spot on most of the teams, but it's interesting. I mean, I've I've often compared the Blues lineup and um, the Jets lineup here in in several different aspects quite frequently. You know, it's it's interesting to compare the two. The Blues definitely have a lot of experience and they have some some age on that that blue line. And I can't comment specifically on whether there are some veterans in particular that you gentlemen think are you know, blocking the younger players if there's a similar type of logjam, but mm-hmm. the Jets certainly have a logjam and it gets to a point where these players like Hainala and Sandberg and even Declan Chisholm and Leon Gavanka to a lesser degree, they won't keep getting better at the AHL because they're too good for the level. So either mm-hmm. they need to be brought up and veterans cleared away, or they need to be traded to an organization that will give them a chance because eventually your prospects stop developing at the AHL level. And they're getting to that point with some of the defensive prospects. I feel like that's exactly how we feel about Scott Perunovic. And that's why we want him to be that guy that gets a spot. And I think the Scandella thing definitely opens it up for him. I think Mm -hmm. either way, if Scandella was healthy or not, I don't think there's any way you could just have Prunovich sitting there with Scandella playing with Bortuzzo. Like that just doesn't make any sense. So just to to piggyback off of that, is there like one player in this entire battle that you want to get that spot? Because for us, it's Prunovich, no doubt about it. And I think he's going to get it. I mean, Mikkel is in the conversation, but is there one guy that you'd like to see be that, the guy that gets the spot? I like it to be Vili Hainala. To me, watching him play extensively with the Moose, he is – the epitome of a modern puck moving slick defenseman, a great passer, a quarterback for your power play, not overly physical, but, but speedy, smart, good vision, good poise. He needs to be given an opportunity because Paul Maurice had his veteran bias that 
kept players like him out of the lineup. Rick Bonus has to do better with that. I'd like to see it be Vili Hainala, but I couldn't argue if it was Dylan Sandberg as well. The Central Division is a heavy division, and Dylan Sandberg has that over Vili Hainala. But one of those, one of those two, I'd like to see Hainala pop off because I think he could be a tremendously exceptional top four defenseman. Very awesome. Very awesome. Well, so we have touched on this here a couple of different times, you know, but with roughly the same, I mean, and, and I'll probably say about 95 to 98% here of the same roster is being moved forward. Like you said, running it back here. What are expectations here from you of this roster? I mean, do you see any like big changes? Has there been any sort of indication as far as deployment, you know, line mixes and matches or play styles or, or anything else or to that extent that is going to be different this season that we can expect to see out of the Jets as opposed to last season? Uh, well, I'll tell you that my personal expectations of the Jets, I don't have any. This is the first oh, season okay. I'm going into. <laughs> this is the first season I'm going into with not any expectation that the Jets are going to excel. I hope that they do under Rick Bonus. I think there's a chance that they can, but I'm not holding my breath or saying that it's a sure thing. But one thing that I am waiting to see is Cole Perfetti take a top six role. I think the road has been paved for him to do that, to play my between... My fantasy team wants to see that too. Yeah, to play um, <laughs> on the second line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor. That's where he played last year in January and February before he got injured. And he was very effective. He had seven points in that role in 16 games before Jamie Oleksiak knocked him out for the season with a big hit. So Cole Perfetti on the top six is something that, that I'm looking forward to and would say is a decent possibility. They're grooming him for the spot. Another thing I'd like to see, this is something that Paul Maurice would never, ever do is he needs to take Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, Rick Bonus does, and he needs to uncouple them for good. Blake Wheeler, I'd like to see him deployed in a third-line role because while he's his regression has been fast over the last two mm-hmm. seasons, and he was in his prime longer than most players are in their prime. He was not reaching his heights until he was in his early 30s with those 92-point seasons. Yeah. But now Blake Wheeler has regressed. He can't keep up in a top six role anymore. So I'm hoping that bonus bonus recognize that he was a deficient leader. So I'm hoping that bonus recognizes that he can be an effective player. If deployed correctly on the third line, 16, 17 minutes a game power play time, because he's still good on the, on the wall on the right wing on the power play. And I'm just hoping that can insulate Blake Wheeler from some of the failures that have crept into his game with age. And that he can be close to still a point per game player for the Jets, but accept a lesser role as a necessity for this franchise to get back to relevance. So that's I'd like to see that as well. So let's take a look here. Bonus. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to be able to say this here. Bonus really here should be able to get a lot more here out of this lineup than realistically, like what last season here kind of led. And at this point in time, do you see any sort of like bigger expectations, even like from Connor Hellebuck then? Like, should he be able to receive a lot better of like defense and stuff here in front of Amir as well? I would certainly hope so because by the time February came along, that man was run ragged and you could see it in, you could see it in his game, how exhausted he was. And despite playing well, when called upon Eric Comrie never gained the trust of the organization for whatever reason. And now you have David Riddick as the backup. He brings a little bit more experience than Eric Comrie. He's had a few down seasons since his all-star season with Calgary, but if the, defense can play better in front of him he might be able to make the same number of starts and not be so ragged because the man was facing 40 45 shots a game and 16 or 17 high danger chances per game 
and there's no way that's sustainable. So the Jets are going to have to either manage his workload better if he faces, if the defense doesn't improve, they're going to have to manage his workload a lot better. Or if the defense does improve, he'll have an easier time making more starts. There's no yeah. way he can make the same number of starts as he did last season if the defense is not improved. It will happen the exact same way as last season. So real quick here, let's get into prospects. Uh, just real quick, you already touched a little bit on Perfetti. Obviously, last season played 18 games, seven points. Uh, very good in the AHL as well. Um, I mean, what like what do you kind of – I know you talked about the role that you want him to be in. In terms of expectations for him, in terms of production, uh, what do you think you could get from from Perfetti this season? If all goes well and he does play in a top six role with Connor and Dubois, he'll be playing on the wing. So there's less there's less responsibility than playing center. You'd think that extrapolated if he stayed healthy in a top six role all season, you could hope for you know, 45, 50 points from him. If Kyle Connors scoring close to 50 goals and Pierre-Luc Dubois is recording 60 plus points, if they both excel and stay healthy, I think that you could possibly get that top six production out of Cole Perfetti this season. I could see it. Um, and then other prospects, are there any other prospects that you're looking for maybe making the jump? I know we've talked about a few in this episode, but just, you know, who comes to mind possibly making the jump? This is a make or break season for David Gustafson. He is a bottom six center in the vein of Adam Lowry. He's played for the Manitoba Moose, a very strong two-way game on the power play, on the penalty kill, top line center. With the Moose, he's referred to as the Gus Bus because he's a, <laughs> he's a real horse out there. Yeah, But he had a rotten year last year injury wise when he was called up to the jets for his first game in December, he was injured in his first shift. And then when he returned to the lineup in early January, he was injured in his first shift. And then he played, he recovered by March and played down the stretch for the moose very well, but he's being like Perfetti. He's being groomed for a spot on the jets this season. Mm -hmm. Mostly he needs to prove that he can stay healthy. Because he is, he could be an excellent bottom six player for the Jets. Another player I'm looking at to fulfill a lot bigger of a role is Morgan Barron. He was acquired from the Rangers in the Andrew Kopp trade at the at the deadline, and he played he played really well for the Jets down the stretch in about 14, 15 games. I think in him you have a player who's relentless net front has some offensive pop. It has a little bit of sandpaper to him, sort of in the same vein as Adam Lowry, maybe with even a bit more offensive upside. So if he can, if he can stick with the Jets this season, I think this could be the start of something good for him and for the Jets. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's close everything out here. Let's do a little bit of rapid fire. I got six questions here for you, and I want to hear your most unbiased opinions here regarding this team, which I think you've done a really good job here of answering these as like an unbiased opinion. So uh, yeah, I don't question... think I pulled any punches so far. So no. And that's honestly, I love it. I would rather have a complete, just unbiased, no punches pulled opinion here about the state of the team. Um, cause that I, I think really gives fans a really good chance to see, um, what the state of, of each franchise here is. Hey, I don't work for the team. So there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no benefit, uh, for me to, for, uh, to be lying to you. So that's exactly true. Awesome. So Fire let's away. see. So Assuming a full healthy season over or under 45 goals for Kyle Connor. I would say over. I think he is set for sustained success. And I think if he stays healthy, this could be the year he reaches 50. There's no reason I can think of that. He wouldn't. Awesome. Oh man, that would be fantastic. I think he needs to get a lot more recognition from the NHL. Oh, he's a criminally a lot under, more criminally yes. underrated as a player. Yep. And the Absolutely. Jets have, the Jets have not had a 50 goal score in their 2.0 history so far. The in the Thrashers Jets history, it's just uh, Ilya Kovalchuk. 
Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been a jet that scored 50 goals in a long time. So I'd love, I'd to, love see to see it. Yep. Absolutely. Number two, Hellebuck is a Vesna finalist. If the defense is better. Yes. Because Connor Hellebuck can stand on his head and he did at times last season. Yep. He was, although his stats were below average for his standards, you couldn't say that he was one of the main problems with, with that team. It was more of usage and quality of chances against him were so high. If the defense can improve under bonus, I think possibly, I mean, we know that he's an elite goaltender, so I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't say it's a guarantee, but if the defense can improve possibility. Mark Shifley is traded. Ooh, if if it's completely obvious he doesn't buy into bonuses systems and shows honestly honestly shows contempt to his team with his lack of defensive effort like he did for most of last season he could well get traded because like i said earlier on the program there's a lot of teams that are looking for a near point mm-hmm. per game guy that is on a team friendly contract and there are some teams that will be willing to eat his defensive indifference if they're in contending mode. Well, let's face it. I mean, Vegas is always willing to hear plenty of different offers and be able to throw out half their team here for a player. So, you know, Vegas will be in the mix if that's the case. <laughs> if the Golden Knights, if you do not perform well, immediately you are gone. Yep. They are ruthless. Yep. Yep. And say what you want about that, but uh, that's the way it is. Yep. What do you think? Are your Jets going to make the playoffs this year? I expect the worst. Prepare for the best, I'd say, in that situation. <laughs> if Bonus can re-energize this team, if he can sort out those egos, get everybody pulling in the same direction, help the team find an identity, it's possible. If he can't get more out of the team than his predecessors could, then no, they'll finish they'll finish in the mushy middle again, which to me is just about the worst place you can finish because you're not trending in either direction. You're just trending towards irrelevance. Very fair. 60 and a half points for Pierre-Luc Dubois over or under? 60 and a half? Yep. I figured I'd throw in the half point. You know, everybody always does those betting lines here. So I figured I'd throw in the half point and not let you sell Um, it directly on 60. I'd say around there is about right. He'll be the second line center. He'll play Mm -hmm. a star uh, role on the power play. His give a crap meter is always turned to 100. There's no player than him who's more engaged in the game. He likes, you know, being in the muck. He likes going after the puck. So I see no reason why not if he stays healthy. Awesome. Well, and as we listed out here at the top of the show, most if not all of the team's metrics here were below average so this question to you is all of the team's metrics goals for against power play penalty kill are all in the top half of the nhl no i can't see that happening um goals scored perhaps in the middle like they were last year goals against Depends on the new defensive regime under bonus and company. The power play, it used to be a juggernaut. I would say in 2018, 2019, when it looked like the Jets were going to win the Stanley Cup, or 2017, 2018, when it looked like the Jets could win the Stanley Cup, I'd say yes. Mm -hmm. It's gotten a little bit predictable. A lot of players key on Blake Wheeler and some of the plays that they've established. So they do need some fresh looks on that. Last year, last season, the the penalty kill was a disaster because Mm -hmm. it was incredibly, incredibly passive. You would see four players collapse into a very small box right in front of the net. There was no pressure on the puck carrier at all. And they just let teams tee off. And you can, you can see that the the power play ranking speaks for itself. So with um, bonuses talked about the team being a lot more aggressive. We'll see if that translates into the penalty kill, but uh, color me skeptical. If I think that it's going to be great, this season uh, fool me once uh, shame on you fool me twice etc in, in this situation i think um I, if, if i can be able to summarize here everything it seems like all of jets nation here for the most part is a 
you know what? I'm happy there's going to be hockey, and and I will believe it when I see it. Kind of vibe. Yes, I would agree. There's there's a large portion of the Jets fan base who unfortunately have they've checked out. They've given up on the team. Yeah, because the honeymoon phase in Winnipeg is long over. When yes. the Jets came back, everybody for years was just happy to have a team back. They were just happy to be invited to the dance and fans bought tickets and they sold out every game for a decade. The honeymoon period lasted longer than true North probably even deserved. (laughs) And they started to take their fans for granted. They thought they would just be happy to come and watch an NHL game, but that's over. The fans want, they don't necessarily want a Stanley cup every year, but they want to know that the organization responds them and the money and the time they put into the team and they want to see they want to go to a game and have a competitive product on the ice so with that there's the the arena doesn't even sell out anymore there's a few thousand empty seats per game and to win some of those fans back it's difficult Mm -hmm. especially when you're running it back and you don't add, you know, a big name player to get those fans re-energized. You de- you failed to add the big name coach that everybody was after. So if the Jets run it back and it doesn't go well, the the fan base is going to could be ugly. Even more. It's going to become even more jaded. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that here. Well, so that is all I have here, Ethan. Anything else? Final words, comments. Uh, no, this was this was great. A great way to cap off the the summer series. You know, going over mm-hmm. every every team in the division. Obviously, a different perspective or different view of every team with everybody that we've had on. So it's interesting to to kind of take all this information and kind of figure out how the central could look this year. I mean, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully, we could do it again soon. Hey, well, I had an absolute ton of fun. Uh, before we close, do you want to hear my little take on the St. Louis Blues? Sure. Please do. All right. Let's fire away. I think the St. Louis Blues have the best chance of winning a Stanley Cup this year in their current window of competitiveness. You wow. have Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube have gotten the Blues key players to buy what they're selling. Yeah. And you can see that in the offseason of extensions. You have Thomas and Kairu locked up. Uh, for eight years each, and they're mm-hmm. going to be a thorn in the central division sides for a long, long time. You're, while you speak of a log jam on defense, you have an established core of defensemen who are experienced. You have O'Reilly and Tarasenko both in the fold for probably the final time, because it's looking like Armstrong's going to have to choose between one of them mm-hmm. after the season. You mm-hmm. have both of them in the fold as well. So when you add it all up, I think the blues are going to be, Highly competitive, and like I said, the in this current window of competitive competitiveness, I think with with all that, they're in a good position to be a powerhouse. You do have a question, a question in goal, whether oh, yeah. Jordan Bennington can be the guy again. Mm-hmm. I know Billy Huso stole his job in the back half of last season, and yes, Bennington can be a bit volatile, and his numbers have dropped since he really burst onto the scene in your worst to first season there. So I think that's the biggest question mark for, for the blues, whether he can become the number one guy again, but overall, I think it looks, I think it looks great to be a blues fan this year. And I'm looking forward to the four matchups between them and the Jets. We've got one coming up here in just um, in exactly a month, October 24th, first game. I love it. Yeah. I I think, uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head here. You know, I think a lot of blues fans, they're upset with the departure of Huso. I mean, I think everybody gets it. You know, they're just upset here about it. They're more upset about the departure of David Perron. Right. Um, that's a especially... that's a sizable loss. He yes. made a big mark on on the franchise, no doubt. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially when they know they could have gotten rid of a guy here like Marco Scandella, cleared up the contract, you know, cleared up all the cap space, and then, you know, just kept moving forward here with Perron. Like you said, you know, you got one last year, so why not be able to keep Perron at least for one to two more years? It easily could have just been easily done, very easily done. Um, I I think a majority of the Blues fans are looking for a, what does this look like 
beyond next season. You know, you've already started to see the change over here in the regime and um, and, and the face here of the franchise starting to move over from O'Reilly and Tarasenko here over to Thomas and Cairo for, for good reason. But they're looking for that sustained success. And as of right now, there's a lot of question marks surrounding, okay, well, what does that look like? And are we going to start overpaying? Because you see plenty of these organizations who start overpaying and overcommitting and yikes, you know, the blues don't have the greatest of prospect pools, but they start pulling from here at this point. And so if they're going to start rebuilding, Ooh, they're it's, it's going to be several years. Right. So start you have truly um, rebuilding. The blues do have a changing of the guard going on where they're shifting to sort of the speed is everything kind of play style. I think mm-hmm. they're moving away from playing a heavier, more defensive game, but mm-hmm. I think you do have a very good core there with the, uh, Thomas and Kairou and those players who are going to be your leadership core in, you know, the near future. And they're obviously already excelling as players. So. Yep. Nope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Declan, where can fans be able to find you here on the socials worth, uh, you know, what have you been, what, what are you working on? You know, um, fill some fans in here about yourself, plug yourself a little bit. All right. Uh, well, just, um, Check out my work on the Hockey Writers, myself, and uh, I have a couple of great holly- colleagues as well, and uh, Connor Hrabchak and uh, Keith Forsythe. We're trying to pump out lots and lots of content all the time. Connor also was um, recently credentialed as a uh, um, Manitoba Moose and uh, Jets writer, so we should have some good inside looks at the team this year. Um, awesome. Yeah, give me a follow on uh, give me a follow on Twitter. I'm easily searchable you can hear me yell into the void and um <laughs> yeah i guess i'll just you know plug plug the thw jets team in uh yeah in general here because you know we, we i have some great colleagues and you know we're trying to bring a uh, good solid coverage that, like like your team is so it's a it's a pivotal season for the jets so you know follow us as we go through it we'll call it like it is we won't pull any punches that's awesome. Declan, thank you so, so much here for being able to come on. And, um, you know, here as the season progresses, we'll, we'll try and our best to really get you back on and we can, you know, discuss the season here as it progresses along. That yeah, sounds absolutely great. Thanks so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking with, with you both, uh, pretty soon. Thank awesome. You. Thanks. Thank you, uh, to Declan for joining us. I thought it was a great interview talking about the jets. Um, a lot of brutal honesty and yeah. that's, that's what I love. That's yeah, what I that's love. always a good thing. And with each summer series episode, I think they were all great. I think this one maybe had the most information packed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think they were all great, all really fun to listen to, especially if you're a fan of the Blues and you don't pay that much attention to the other teams or you're a fan of those teams and you want to hear what people who are closest or, or know the most about the teams uh, want to say about it and i thought this interview lived up to that so that was great uh thank you to declan for joining us and i guess you know episode 26 is pretty much over i do think that we should bring up the fact that we were incorrect about the extension for nathan mckinnon and what he could get because just a a bit outside just a bit outside on that they looked at his last deal and they said double it because he's making 6.3 now he's making 12.6 and that is a lot of money but I mean, he's one of the best players in the league, and he's one of the few players that can change a game on a dime. And mm-hmm. that's what makes the Avalanche so dangerous is they have two of those guys. So, mm-hmm. uh, Well, and if you look at it, um, according to the Athletic and their player cards, he is actually still underpaid. His player card, I think they actually had him at a value of somewhere between 13 and 14 here, give or take. So I don't know how... Yeah, I don't What's, know how accurate or like what they base it on or like whatever their, their formulas are. But if you could have, I mean, imagine if they had actually offered him 13 to $14 million as opposed to just 12.6. It's true. And also I wonder what what is McDavid's value or like Makara? That's got to be super high. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that wasn't David Perron's value on the athletic thing, like seven mil or something. So... It was seven to seven and a half million dollars yeah. is what his actual like point production value here. They said that like he should be making. There's still gaps in certain areas between analytics and 
the league. And I think that yeah. that's one of them. The fact that Perron got what? 4.75 was it somewhere mm-hmm. around there yeah yeah. i guess age is a factor too but um yeah so mckinnon i guess congrats to him i mean it i can't really say that it sucks for the blues just because we all knew this was going to happen and he's a great player to watch i wish he was playing in like i don't know uh somewhere on the east coast i guess but up in boston new york somewhere winnipeg no not winnipeg yeah, what a big, uh, interesting team. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess moving forward, the summer series is over. Now we move on to other stuff. Obviously, we'll have another guest on for the next episode of All Things Go as planned. I won't reveal that now just because I don't want to, you know, give away anything, you know, keep keep people on their toes here. And then after that, we'll have NHL season preview for every team. Then we'll have a Blues full preview as well right before the season begins. So lots to come. We're going to be switching to two episodes a week. Once the season begins, the plan right now would be Thursday and Sunday. So we'll get to that very, very soon. But more guests on throughout the season as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning into the Summer Series. And we'll see you next week for episode number 27. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.